0: Hello, it's Chuck from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. It's been a long while since we've published, and I am sorry about that. I know many of you have been desperately waiting for our next episode, but rest assured, we have several fantastic guests lined up and some exciting projects to share with you once we get out of bed. That said, I was very happy to sit with Kenar Bedian, founder and editor-in-chief of Sound of Boston Music Blog. I discovered Sound of Boston before I even started above the basement, and I'm a huge fan. I asked Kenar on in the early days of ATB, and she politely refused, but I kept at it and finally got her on the show. Kanar loves Boston, and like many of us, she wants to make sure people know how amazing and vibrant the Boston music scene is. But even beyond that, as a proud Armenian-American, Kanar is a tireless activist working to draw attention to the terrible violence and oppression happening in her ancestral Armenia. Sound of Boston has also been very vocal about oppression here in Boston, as she recently wrote a great piece called A Musician's Guide to Black Music History and Anti-Racism Resources, an anti-racism and music focused educational resource to help create a more inclusive, safe and just community for everyone. We had a great conversation and I love the line they use on their site. While the world waits for a Boston sound, Sound of Boston is here to show you that it already exists. You just have to know where to look. So, here is my conversation with Kanar Bedian of Sound of Boston, recorded in my apartment in Arlington, Massachusetts.
1: Yes, Kanar, what kind of name is Kanar? So I know you're Armenian. Yeah. Is Kanar short for something or is it No, th- it's actually just is it a family um, name.
2: Armenian word/name slash name for a type of harp, it's a like type a of specific, harp. specific small harp, which seems fitting considering all the things That's I That's appropriate. Yeah.
1: I like that. Were you born in Armenia?
2: No, I was born in the suburbs of Chicago.
1: In the suburbs of Chicago. Were you are, who's your first who are the first people over from Armenia for you?
2: Um, I'm third generation. Third
1: generation. But you still have family over there?
2: So I didn't until my parents recently moved to Yerevan, the capital.
1: That's right. They moved okay. back, and that's when you became concerned because of the recent crap that was going on last year. Mm-hmm. When you were very concerned about your parents, how are they doing? They're good. They're good. Yeah. All right. Good. Everything's settled down a little bit over there. Or what's the, I don't. I'm um, keeping yeah, up. Yeah.
2: There's been a ceasefire signed. That's not really in our favor. But yeah, but um, it's a ceasefire. And there's still like kidnapping of citizens and POWs that need to be returned but in terms of the actual fighting it's definitely died down a bit.
1: Tell me your story what you've been doing as far as I don't know if you call it protesting but you're certainly Mm -hmm. involved. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah um, I've been part of the this Armenian youth organization called AYF since I was 10 years old. I'm also recently joined the Armenian Relief Society which is kind of like a Red Cross uh, relief type of organization Both of those organizations are international. Um, There's chapters all over the world. So I've always been really involved in the Armenian community, both in Chicago as well as when I moved here to Boston.
1: There's a large community here. Yeah,
2: especially near Watertown. Um, There's a couple of churches and we have bakeries and uh, community centers and all that. Your
1: parents had moved there, not just recently, Mm -hmm. right in the middle of all this, everything hit the fan. Yeah. And are they still there?
2: Uh, right now, they're back uh, getting their COVID vaccine. Oh, okay. Um, Armenia does have is getting some vaccines through the Covax program. Yeah. But they also had some other stuff they wanted to do, come back home, see their, see us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know what the answer is to this, or I even how to ask the question. But what is the, uh, what's your mission? Are you petitioning? Are you reaching out to U.S. politicians? Mm-hmm. Are you reaching out to the politicians? to people over there? Like, how? Yeah. What are you what are you doing?
2: So there's also a grassroots organization called the ANCA Armenian National Committee of America. And they uh, work with our politicians set up meetings with our local politicians to make sure that their constituents are able to express their concern about Armenian issues. Um, and they do lobbying in DC. So we are really involved in trying to contact our politicians, keep them updated and involved, um, Mm. making sure that they're speaking up about the issues whenever possible. Um, But also, yeah, we are, we do uh, have demonstrations. We had some in Harvard Square, downtown Boston, uh, to help raise awareness about the issues, um, as well as educate people, you know, by collecting resources, coverage. There was some really great coverage by Vice last year, as well as other stuff by Amnesty and International and and whatnot. So collecting all that and creating QR codes so people could easily learn more, uh, especially during the time of pandemic. You know, you can't really hand out flyers. People are still (laughs) uncertain about what to touch. So kind of thinking about new ways to get that information out.
1: It probably couldn't have been worse timing, not that there's great timing for it. Uh,
2: It was definitely planned timing on uh, on Azerbaijan and Turkey's part. um, Especially with the u.s elections yep. around that same time so yep. america would be busy with their own well,
1: that's cool because i yeah we, we've uh, i mean i tried to get you on when i very f- first met you
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you rejected me <laughs> it was last year i guess right mm-hmm. so uh and you were otherwise engaged but i'm glad your parents are okay so i thank god for that and uh, you all vaxxed yeah yeah you feeling good <laughs> Have you been? Have you been um, going out to shows or anything like that? Have you been like, uh, out, out? Not and about? quite
2: yet, but we're booking some shows.
1: What do you mean
0: you're booking um, some shows?
2: So there's a pop up space called Starlight, which is a new outdoor venue in, in the parking lot of H Mart in Central Square. Uh huh. Um, so we applied to be part of the events and programming that's going on. So the it's summer. the Sound of Boston. It's a Sound of Boston Listen Local concert. Listen so local. we'll be booking some local artists. Oh sweet. Um, they've they've already confirmed the organizations that can that are gonna be involved with this year's programming. Yeah. Um and we're in the process of picking out the lineup and figuring out those details. We've got one show july thirteenth and then another September twentieth.
1: Well, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. That's great. I Looking think forward. I think that. Because there are so many, I mean, we lost a lot of venues. Some of them aren't even open yet. Sinclair's not open. Lizard Lounge isn't open. I mean, there's a bunch more. Cantab Lounge, though, I heard is going to reopen. But I heard it's going to reopen. Really? Yeah. Um, I don't know when, but I've heard that the new owner wants to continue what it was.
2: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. But that said, there's only so many venues and three billion musicians in Boston who want to, you know, play there. So I've been thinking, you know, once everything opens up again, there's too many musicians for too little spaces for them to play. Yeah. So there's going to have to be some other option, like a parking lot, like outdoor venues, or, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully people start opening up their backyards to, for people, or venues start opening up a little further out in the burbs. Yeah. Um, You know, like Soundcheck, Soundcheck Studios.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in Pembroke, they just built a, a really large indoor. Kind of looks like the indoors of. Um, it's kind of like a Sinclair kind of thing where it's got like a upper um,
2: balcony type balcony of thing uh-huh. right there.
1: Uh, and they also do stuff uh, stuff outdoors in the in the parking lot. So awesome! I mean, if anything good out of COVID is this year is that uh, you can now more restaurants you can eat outdoors in. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know that Lizard Lounge had a parking lot. Yeah, did you know that it's hidden away? I didn't know that. I had no idea either. But they have a huge. I mean, I hope they they just keep it. That's great. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to them doing that. But, I mean,
2: because then you could technically have two shows: one outside, one indoors.
1: That's interesting. I don't know if they've had. I don't know if they're gonna have shows outside. Yeah, there's or probably,
2: probably all sorts of rules for the neighborhood and yeah. regulations about how loud something can be.
1: Have what have you been hearing about venues in Boston? Anything? And in particular, now that you've, uh, you're ear to the ground more than I have, although I did, I, did, I did just tell I feel like I have breaking news for you with Cantab, yeah. Lounge. With Cantab Lounge.
2: Yeah. No, not particularly. I, I mean, I'm personally still kind of you know, waking up from the pandemic and only starting to think about shows, yeah. I feel like.
1: And you haven't been to many everyone's. shows yourself?
2: No, not yet. Ah. The went. only show I went to was a really small backyard show that S203, which is a local artist management company, okay. put on um, featuring two local artists, Aldra and Chris Walton. Okay. But that was small and outside, and I was pretty familiar with a lot of the people in the crowd. So yeah. it's kind of a different type of comfort level than going to a, an indoor venue with yeah. a ton of people you don't know.
1: I went to Swansea, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. So I saw a Neighbor and Pink Talking Fish played there. Oh, cool. Uh, a couple weeks ago. And I tell you, it's, we, I took a video of it, and I'll put it on our website just because it was so cool, of people dancing in front of it. Yeah. In front of the, it looked like they had been just got out of prison, <laughs> and they were just dancing their asses off, just like dancing for joy. It was pretty, yeah. well, we couldn't believe it. It was like so great to, to see that. People were so jonesing
2: yeah. for live music. Oh, definitely. All
1: right, so you told me the story when I first met you. But I want to hear it again. The Sound of Boston story. So you moved, you moved to Boston. Did you move to Boston because of Tufts? Is that yeah. you went to school? Yeah. You so came I here for Tufts. Tufts. And what was your undergrad in?
2: Um, I had a double major, sociology and Spanish, and then a minor in communications and media studies.
1: But out of that, you've discovered you like to write?
2: Yeah. So I had done um, some editorial work for the Echo Nest, which uh, has since been acquired by Spotify. Okay. But they were based in Davis Square, so it was a really easy commute. Yeah, I was doing a lot of uh, music tech journalism, looking at the ways that technology was affecting the music industry and changing the way we listen to music or consume music. So that was kind of you know, the the catalyst for thinking more about how can I be more involved with the music scene in general and the music industry.
1: Is that your thing? Is that your vibe?
2: Yeah. I feel like that's my slice of pop culture that I care most about.
1: But I think you told me you don't play an instrument. Is that correct? No, I, I do. Oh, you do? I mean, okay. I don't
2: I don't think I can say I still play an instrument because it's been a couple... My cello is sitting dusty. That's right,
1: you were a cellist. I do remember you
2: telling that. Um, yeah, I played cello for about 13 years in well,
1: the Symphony then, yeah, Orchestra. Let's pick it up. It's like riding a bike.
2: It's tough. When, you, when you're yeah. used to the orchestra setup, it's harder to be able to... I mean, I, I didn't do as many solo pieces yeah. as maybe others might have, so... Yeah. When you're playing, you know an orchestra piece, which is a lot of the music that I have on hand. It's just not as exciting. You got a lot of rests, and no one else is playing, so you don't have your cues.
1: You never played with a band before. No. (laughs) Well, there you go. That's what you should do. I mean,
2: I'm too busy writing about music to be creating the music. now. You got another
1: life there doing that. But you, uh, from the story I think that you told me, and that's on the Sound of Boston website. There's a guy you became friends with who and Mm -hmm. and. he started a sound of Boston somewhere else or is like, so yeah, explain that to me because I'm butchering it.
2: Um, so essentially, uh, the, my co-founder Jonah Ullman, he had studied abroad in Denmark and had his own music blog, um, and was writing about some Danish artists and a music site called sound of Aarhus reached out to him. Um, Aarhus is the second largest city in Denmark. Their idea was to reach out to a bunch of different cities who are overshadowed by a larger music city nearby. Mm -hmm. So for their situation, it was Copenhagen. For us, it's New York. And really find a way to highlight the strength of the local music scene and show people that there was something really special in that community. And so uh, when I ran into Jonah at the Nines Music Festival, which doesn't exist anymore, it was the,
1: in the 9s music festival yeah. where where was it? It was in Danvers, in Massachusetts.
2: Danvers. Explosions in the Sky played oh, okay. Cave Flay. So, we had met there and I found out that he was behind this music blog that I also had followed and we started talking and he saw I had my camera and so that you I You already was...
1: followed the, his blog. Yeah.
2: Without so, knowing it without was in.
1: Yeah. Why were you following a blog from over in
2: I knew someone from Tufts ran that blog.
1: So he's a tough. He was a tough grad. He
2: was also from Tufts, yeah. So essentially, there was a separate team, the Sound of Arhus people, right. who had reached out to Jonah, um, who had his own blog. Okay. And they said, "Hey, we see that you know how to run a blog. We see you've been covering some Danish artists, which is how they found him in the first place. Gotcha. Would you like to start a Sound of Boston? And when we met at that Nines uh, Music Festival in Danvers." I was also writing about it, I was covering it, um, like, taking photos. And so, he said, hey, why don't we start this together? It kind of, at first, was something we thought we would just do for fun, but Who we also... Who year is this? 2013. 2013.
1: 2013. Um, well, that's right, it's right, on the, it's right on your website, it's on about yeah. 2013, it's right there. Yeah. It yes.
2: And that was around the time the Phoenix had folded, um, that's and right. we... So we had done some market research and just a competitive analysis to see you know, what other blogs were out there, where would we fit in, was there a space for us yeah. as, an, as a new music blog um, focusing on the local scene. And it felt like there was, and especially from the feedback we heard from the local artists that we had started to cover, yeah. it sounded like we were helping to fill a gap. We grew pretty quickly and have been about 25 to 30 people on the team the last I'd say seven years
1: yeah I'm not sure when they close but like all the small fanzines
2: it's I mean and it's tough too like if if you there's also a lot of smaller blogs that are run by one person or a few people so it's hard to keep that up roots and
1: Mm -hmm. yeah sure
2: yeah I think that that's one of our strengths is having that team having different roles for each each person on the team right we we have separate editors and writers and photographers and Press coordinators and whatnot. So, all
1: right. So you decided to you decided to start this in 2013. mm
2: mm-hmm.
1: But it was always going to be an online blog and not a publication.
2: Yeah, I mean, we did explore print, but you know, it's difficult. It's expensive. And monetization in general, yeah. right? We're not going to be charging people to read about the local artists. We're really trying to get the local artists as much reach as possible and Mm -hmm. if we're creating barriers to entry like having to pay for the content then we're really limiting our audience in that way so um
1: therein lies lies the problem yeah of running a podcast or a blog Uh
2: uh-huh so um yeah so we've been online uh the entire time we did explore you know some other different mediums uh, of or ways of presenting the information back in twenty fifteen we did a digital music magazine using a platform called ReadyMag. Mm. and this allowed us to do things like parallax scroll or and we've also you know found ways to create little guides um, before Boston Calling had their own app. We used a separate app to create like a little magazine guide that helped people get a sense for when performers were playing, mm-hmm. who the local bands were, a little map of the space. This was back when it was downtown. And we we made that in a way so that people could easily look at it on their phones because at the time Boston Calling hadn't developed an app to give all that information. So in that way, you know, we've been trying to find various ways to help get those local artists greater Exposure hmm. um, using different digital mediums, but in terms of digital versus physical, we've always stuck with digital.
1: What was so the mission is for Boston artists is, and I assume it's across all all genres. Right? Yeah. And do do you include like New Hampshire and No? We really Boston's Greater Boston kind of thing. Uh,
2: our our
1: or Boston our line is
2: Massachusetts. This Massachusetts so the borders period. of Massachusetts, so yeah, yeah. yeah. And they have to be currently based in Massachusetts because we really want to be covering the folks who are currently contributing to the local music scene, right? Yeah. There are lots of bands that we've had really great relationship with but have moved away to New York or LA, sure. especially when it comes to some students who are, you know, moving away or Berkeley grads right. who are from here taking their next step. So you know, it's it's tough when you can't really cover the artists anymore because they've moved on. But yeah. there's so many other folks that we can cover here. That's not really a problem.
1: I love what what you guys are doing, and it does seem like I don't. Remember, I was looking at your the your staff, mm-hmm. and it does seem like there's twice as many as I've seen recently. Do you have like have you brought on more people recently, or is that my imagination? Um,
2: there are some new names uh, because of the pandemic. Some folks had to move away. Or, yeah. You know, we usually have some turnover with people who are graduating, or they're starting a family, or, you know, their situation is changing with their jobs. Do they get paid? No.
1: They just do it for the love of the music, basically.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so everyone, including myself, is a volunteer. I pay for the site out of pocket. Yeah. I work a separate full-time job, as do a lot of the people on the team. Sure. Or some of them are students um, in the area. Yeah. But... Uh, because there's those challenges and monetization, we've explored a lot of different things beyond just subscriptions, right? There are other ways of making money, like having some sort of merch or having a monthly local music box subscription type of thing, or
0: Patreon,
1: look at Patreon.
2: Patreon, or, um, you know, having a separate booking part of Sound of Boston that would be booking shows and trying to make money in that way. But even in that, in that sense, whenever we book shows, we're really looking to get the artists paid as much money exactly. as possible. It's it's really difficult to find a way that feels fair and sticks to our mission. So everyone is a volunteer.
1: It's it's hard, and um, I'm starting a nonprofit now mm-hmm. because it's just it's hard to. I mean, unless you get the downloads or you get the eyes yeah. on your on your blog. I mean, you're just not going to make that. You can buy a cup of coffee, maybe, right? So yeah. it's not. It's almost. It's not worth the, the trouble. I mean, maybe it'll cover your your internet costs or something. Or I mean, you know, businesses have to step up, and and start helping support people like us, <laughs> Yeah. so we can make a living doing this. Yeah, because this is important stuff. Mm-hmm. It's vitally important to the city of Boston. I mean, when losing the Phoenix was a huge blow. Yeah. And losing all those fanzines is a, right, is right. a huge blow, and yeah. so there's not a lot of places where people can go to get the press, I and mean, then they can go to they can go to the Boston Herald, they can go to the Boston Globe, but that's few and far between being able to get in there. Yeah. So you need that. You need that niche blog or podcast
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, to take care of these people. So um, I know? mean,
2: it's also it's helping. It's helping alert people who might be wanting to go to shows but aren't sure who to see yeah. of the local bands that they can go see in their local venues. Um, we're also playing that role of you know being that stepping stone from, for the next larger blog, the more international or national blog that's going to help them get coverage that's going to help their career move even move forward even more quickly.
1: Do you have so we have a informal agreement? Where mm-hmm. I, we have you on our menu, and you you have us on your menu. So hopefully people can go check us out uh, on either of, of those. Do you have any other affiliations with other blogs? Kind of, is there any kind of uh, you know connection?
2: Um, no, not necessarily. But a couple of years back, we were part of a collective, I guess we could call it, uh, called Boston Scene Party, mm. um, which was a lot of different music blogs from around town who came together to. You know, problem solve and talk about the scene and uh, just connect. You know, Austin Pudding was part of that. Right. Bishop and Rook, which was another local blog. Right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
1: I Actually, I have all those blogs, and I'm not even sure how. I, I, I should update it on my on my website. Mm-hmm. I pulled in all the venues, and that's probably needs to be updated too. Yeah, yeah. And and the blogs, and I remember that one. Yeah. Uh, uh, is yeah, Austin
2: Pudding lists a lot of them yeah. on their site. Uh, no, it's not around anymore. Um, two of the people who are really central to organizing the meetups got married to each other. Oh, isn't that nice?
1: (laughs) So you also had something that I, I started doing as well until I ran out of money. You have the neighborhood sessions. Yeah. And I haven't done it in a a while, but I really like them.
2: Yeah. We've had some challenges with continuing the neighborhood sessions, um, We had them going strong for a while, and then...
1: I don't think we had one since like 2018 or something like that. Yeah,
2: the main video crew we worked with from Emerson um, ended up moving to LA, as they do. We've been trying to figure out who to work with next, but honestly, I've been really busy with a lot of other projects and just working on the typical site administration stuff and making sure everyone on the team's getting what they want, getting the experience they want out of the publication so we haven't been able to start it up again but it was a great way to hear new covers from artists that we really loved yes um some of those covers i think a lot of people have listened to at this point as the artists got bigger um tall heights was signed to sony so they started getting bigger um and jimmy obviously has been a really big part of the music scene here
1: exploded yeah, Recently.
2: Um, Ripe as well. We we had recorded one of their ICA yep. sets back when Berkeley was doing those summer sessions yep. or summer concert series. Yeah, and yeah. they had one on the, at the ICA. I think they've moved it since, but it's somewhere near the ICA still.
1: So what was the biggest challenge for you during COVID for, for Sound of Boston?
2: I mean, in terms of most of our coverage, we didn't necessarily need to change anything right we can still interview an artist for a local spotlight via email or on the phone or through zoom uh we can still cover an album and review it
1: Mm.
2: you know virtually um i think the thing that was the hardest was you know checking in with the team making sure the staff was able to keep up with their duties right it was a hard time for everyone people had family things happening, they had changes in their job situation, Um, they had general (laughs) stress and anxiety, and we really had to be sure that we were understanding and accommodating their their workload accordingly. Sure. So I'd say that was honestly the biggest challenge. Um, Then again, like also making sure that we were, you know, picking up and adding to the team whenever necessary so that we could kind of keep up. I do think our cadence slowed for sure, but I also didn't really want to stress about that because the the time you know <laughs> didn't call for us to be able to be on our game. It's just difficult for everyone to be keeping up with the stuff that they were doing previously at the same speed and intensity.
1: yeah, I mean, I think everyone dealt with it the best they could yeah um I think the dis- the most disappointing result of it was that certain albums didn't get toured,
2: yeah, exactly. I mean, it's also tough, right? Like, a lot, of, a lot of this ability to feel like you understand what's going on in the scene is being able to go to the shows, mm. running into the other artists, even if they're not performing, the yeah. people who are going to support their friends who are on stage, yeah. um, and hearing updates from them just naturally. And when you're you know, resorting to texting or Facebook messaging or emailing or waiting for them to post an update on social media then you just don't get that same kind of immersion into the scene as you would normally. And I think that was also a really big challenge because that's that's a way that a lot of us hear about what's going on. You know, we get submissions through the site, mm. um, but we also spend a lot of time going to shows or yeah. finding out about a new artist because they're the opener or exactly. hearing one of the bands that were. When interviewing or, or just run into talk about a band that they're excited about, and when you're missing that kind of natural, spontaneous element, you know, it changes things,
1: it totally does. And I, I there's been a, a good portion of the people we've talked to that I discovered because they opened, they were openers, yeah, or I met them in the audience. It's one of those things where you don't realize how much how important it is until it's gone, exactly. And the crazy thing is that there are people who hadn't been doing concerts in so in so years Mm -hmm. before COVID that see music for the first time just recently and they're like oh my gosh why hadn't I been doing this (laughs) why did I stop going to see music yeah and I mean you know it's a certain life catches up to you but but that's the beauty of this it's like people are I mean I I hope it, it is that people really start to appreciate live music more yeah yeah um And the great music that's around Boston. I mean, there's so many great musicians around here. It's just, like, it's insane. Um, You don't have to go anywhere else Mm -hmm. to hear great music. Everyone's everyone's right here.
2: Yeah, Uh, especially now, right? The venues really need our support. So hopefully, you know, people remember how much they love live music or are aching for it and come back and go to more shows than they normally would and buy more tickets than they normally would because they're catching up from... All the shows they didn't get to see last year.
1: So what's the, I mean, now that things are just opening up now, have you had like a big powwow with your, with your crew to see like, do you need, do you think you're going to need more people? Do you think there's going to be a renaissance of, epic proportions? Like they said, you know, I heard I just read an article the other day. They said it's going to be like the Roaring Twenties. Things are just going to explode around here because people are dying to get out and go see music. Do you have you kind of been talking about this and have are you taking? measures to kind of mm-hmm. to be there for it or what's what's the been what's the story for you guys
2: the thing that will change obviously is that we're going to be able to go to shows again and start covering them yeah we're hopefully going to book a few more shows although that's not something we do super frequently regardless of whether the pandemic was happening or not
1: do you agree that do you think there's going to be a big explosion of arts and music after now or are you i mean i anymore? hope
2: so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's hard to tell, right? I Still I think early. some people also maybe saw like a slower version of life that they needed, you know, <laughs> some people some people are already keeping busy. I know I'm definitely one of those people. Yeah. And taking that time to kind of reset and figure out what what you need to be spending your time on, whether that's family or a new you know, passion or focus. But I'm really hopeful that you know, people will remember how great it feels to be part of a music scene and how great it feels to be in an audience hearing live music, but we'll see. (laughs) Well, one thing, one thing I am hoping for is, you know, obviously some of the venues that we love have lost their spaces, you know, once and great Scott. And so hopefully, you know, the new spaces that they turn into their home Mm -hmm. will also they'll be able to think about accessibility so we can be a little bit more inclusive of different folks who want to go to shows.
1: Sure. You talk, you talk, you're talking, you talking literal accessibility. Yeah. 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 Of, yeah. of uh, someone in a wheelchair being able yeah. to go. Yeah. Cause the
2: record company, I mean, the record company was created during the pandemic. They were doing construction, but they've been really conscious about accessibility and trying yeah. to make sure that it's inclusive for everyone. You know, they worked with a board of local artists and folks who would be able to help speak to that yeah um and so they were able to include that from the start and i know you know obviously a lot of buildings in boston are old yeah and it's hard to incorporate those things after the fact but hopefully when we start from scratch for some of these venues that we love but are gonna have to find new homes they can be a little bit more uh conscious of how to be inclusive for everyone um, in Boston Sure
1: And not only that It's also accessibility For different genres of music Yeah In the different area In, in Roxbury and Dorchester Yeah For rap Hip hop artists That's I mean, That's always been an issue I, I also Underage
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: You know Having all ages yeah. Shows Yeah um, it's, a, it's a It's important Right um, For these kids To be able to go see Some freaking music Yeah uh, Last question uh, What do you think Is the Biggest problem For Boston Music
2: I think it's great that the different genres or circles of our music scene, you know, have formed and there's these great networks and communities within the scene. But I think it's, you know, finding ways for those communities to talk to each other. And, you know, sometimes that is limited by the fact that certain venues don't book certain genres or types of artists Mm -hmm. or simple accessibility in terms of how far a venue is from wherever the artist lives or where their fan base lives or even financial barriers to a show or to a specific space or getting to that space but if we can find new ways to to be able to facilitate those connections and if the city or you know the venues themselves make more of an effort to be inclusive i think that can really change and improve the scene for the better
1: yeah and I, and hopefully So musicians don't have to flee to L.A. and New York to to find that accommodation, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we still have a long ways to go in terms of building out the infrastructure Mm. to allow the artists to build a career of the size that they might want Mm. in Boston. Um, Because we're seeing that, you know, with certain artists, they're getting to a certain size. And after that, there's only so many spaces you can play in Boston without it becoming redundant or... You know, without wearing out your fan base and whether that means you have to travel farther away to be able to get those shows I mean, that just makes it more difficult for the artist whereas if they're living in New York or LA they don't have to travel quite as far they don't have to go all the way to Maine or Burlington or wherever it might be to spread out their cadence of their shows and to reach different audiences so I think there's still a lot of work to to be done there in terms of the infrastructure to support the artists, both physically and metaphorically.
0: I would like to thank Kinar for the conversation and all she does for Boston music. You can check out and bookmark Sound of Boston at soundofboston.com. And you should also check out their event, Sound of Boston and S203, present Listen Local on July 13th. Sound of Boston and artist management company S203 present a night of live music featuring local artists Miranda Ray, Chris Walton, and Teshon Taylor. I will share the Eventbrite link on our ATB Facebook page. Go to AboveTheBasement.com. You can sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, and look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. From all of us at AboveTheBasement, thank you for listening. Tell your friends. And remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique.